We are. Oh, we are live. Perfect timing. <laughs> so I, I just did uh, like a two and a half mile run, hardest that I've done in years, like pushed it as hard as I could <clears throat> in my lungs, man. <clears throat> so I come in and I'm coughing a little bit. And the world we live in today, all my family, oh, yeah. the people of unconditional love are like this. Like side-eyeing me. Yeah. Like I'm bringing COVID in the house. <laughs> get out of here. I'm just... Uh, <clears throat> so apologies in advance for clearing. I'll try to do it to the side. <laughs> Chris, when you jump back into these runs, like I know you haven't been running a lot recently, and then all of a sudden it's like, I did two and a half miles today as fast as I ever done. Like pushed it as hard as ever. Like I feel like you go from zero to 60, you know, you know, we, we went and played volleyball uh, last week and wife hadn't played in a few weeks and, you know, yeah. played for two hours and she pulled something in her back. Like, you know, how does that work for you? Where you just, you go from nothing to all awesome, or, or am I misrepresenting that? Are you kind of, you're building up to it and you're actually staying active and it's not that big of a jump. I'm, I'm going to do this like the, the beer guy, the dose, what was the brand? <laughs> So, I never, this is something that like, I think is just huge to performance period in any capacity. And I, I remember reading this in a running book and I loved it. If you enjoy the training, never train in a way today that you can't also train tomorrow. I mean, obviously you could do a workout where you're, you're doing something to a point of failure you know, squats, chest work, whatever. And and you're letting your muscles rest for a few days. <clears throat> Have you guys heard about blood resistance or blood restriction training? Oh, yeah. Dude, I didn't know about that. So learn something <laughs> new. I'll have to try it. But anyway, um, so, yes, yeah. So I try to pay attention to that part of like, what is right up to that edge? And then, then I don't need to go further. Now, I'm yeah. not going to say that I do it well. So... Um, my body wasn't ready for Tough Mudder uh, with doing zero drop shoes with two millimeters of cushion. So I went from inclined cushion shoes to that. And it felt amazing. And and for the first time, that's when I fell in love with running. And I found that I could enjoy running and, and not just die of shin splints. Um, and so don't get me started on zero drop shoes. I'm such a weirdo about that, Jimmy. I put it in a book. Uh, where Brett and I put it in a book. So, but, but, but when I did Tough Mudder, <clears throat> I, tr I, I should have had more cushion on my shoe. That's too much to do. And, uh, I did injure my foot and I limped for like a month and got it x-rayed and they couldn't figure it out. And I diagnosed it from watching like a ton of podiatrists on YouTube and figured out what was happening. But I basically, you know, hurt a tendon. Um, so, so I, I'm not perfect at that, but like, like I don't, I don't know what burnout feels like physically or emotionally in an in a extreme way. I know what it starts to feel like, and I try to pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. um, so that for me is is how I do it. But I love that expression of when you start and you feel that energy and it's pulsing through your veins, and I might let out a scream and a woo. Uh, and I couldn't do that, you know, at like 35. You got to build up that that yeah. capacity. So, and I know you get all about that. It's, but, hey, I'll be 43 Monday, so maybe all my stuff will uh, window as I age. <laughs> Whoa. Dang. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. What I hear you saying is like, 
the phrase I've been using just, you know, live to play another day. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that. Let's, let's keep going. You know, the, I've been on this deal where like the distance, the consistency is more important. You know, let's, let's do as much as we can, but make sure we can last, <laughs> we can survive. Keep going. Dude, that phrase has got me all kinds of lit up, especially not <laughs> only with performance, physicality, but also business and cash. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm going into a lot of places on that emotionally and mentally. Now, Jimmy, I'm just curious for you. And raising kids. What's that? And raising kids. Oh, we'll have to explore it all. That just, we, we pushed that off to the last and don't even worry about it. Um, but no, like live to play another day. I mean, that's like everything that I feel like I'm doing right now with you guys, as obviously we, we share missions. It's, it's this category of like this B2B business that's here that changes with COVID. And so then you're building this direct B2C interaction. How can you live to play another day? <clears throat> I love that so much. I'm going to write something down real quick because it's my first one. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Live to play another day. Um, yeah. the, the reason I said and kids is because um, when my uh, when I was ra- I'm raising two daughters now they are yeah. one's a sophomore in high school one's a sophomore in college now. So they're, they're raising really- you at this age. <laughs> you know, but you know, as, as a dad, you're trying, you're always trying to figure out how to raise your kids in a way they're going to be thoughtful about the decisions they make when you're not in the room, hmm. especially when they're at a friend's house or they have an opportunity to do something that may not be to their, in their best advantage, to their best uh, advantage. So the, uh, the, the phrase that I, you know, that I share with them was this idea about making decisions that you can walk away from, right? So that aren't consequences that end up doing something irreparable. And uh, so that's that's what I thought of when you said play to live another day. Um, yeah. You know, can you make decisions that um, you can walk away from if they go if they go south? Also, re- too, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> control yourself or others will. Also, too, it makes me think of. Um, play live to play another day in your interactions with them and this applies to like you know anybody you're ever interacting with and leading but like my kids call out my tells i can't do anything that's repeatedly off or they just slam me on it sunday i was trying with a lot of passion to communicate to my daughter she could do something she told herself she couldn't and i know how to do like a direct approach an indirect approach just meet them where they are and change all that up nothing was working and so i was falling back on old habits and i was like i swear to god with my whole life and then i would make the point <laughs> and at one point we we're sitting on the porch and she was like i just feel pressure and stress from this stop saying you swear to god with your whole life <laughs> i've repeated that phrase too many times but in that way you know I- i'm going for that convincing her of something rather than right. living to play another day. Right, 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 right. You know, and, uh, oh my right. gosh, yeah. yeah. I can't get away with it. To, to your point, Jimmy, uh, my, I remember my freshman year of college basketball, and uh, it was the beginning of the season. It was like one of our first couple games. And, uh, you know, at that time, they, they bought us, like, shoes and, and uniform and all that kind of stuff. Well, they also bought us, like, team socks to wear for the games. 
and we come out for the first game and one person's, you know, got the purple socks on raised up to his knees. Another person's got the purple socks on, but they're like, uh, you know, squished down, you know, not pulled up as high as they could. Another person has the socks folded under, so you can't see them. And we go out to play and coach looks at us. He's like, what are you guys doing? He's like, where are your socks? And it, like you guys aren't wearing like he was really adamant about us looking like a team and uniform and like you know um, it's not about you it's not there's no selfishness involved like he was really big about rooting that out at the smallest detail and the guys are looking at and this is our best player and he's looking at his shoe he's like coach my I got purple socks on but they were folded down you couldn't see him he did he benched him he didn't start him for the game. And, you know, it becomes this big thing after the game and like a lot of tension and, you know, you know, people are fighting about it, arguing about it. Like, what's the, what's the big deal? It's just a pair of socks. Yada, yada, yada. So the next day we get into the lot, we go into the locker room for practice and there's one phrase written on the board. And it's, he said, is this the hill you want to die on? <laughs> and it was like, the message was sent like, like really like, we got a whole year ahead of us. We're going to have a ton of adversity. We're going to have ups and downs. Uh, you know, a lot's going to happen. There's so many more important things. Is this really the hill you want to die on? Just wear the purple socks. It's not that big. When, of I, when I hear the different socks, I hear different generations, like how boomers would wear it, how Gen, gen X would wear <laughs> sure. it, how Gen Y and Gen Z. But for, sure. for me, like that was a huge learning point, early 20s. But I think what gave me a ton of experience early as a leader and developed me fast was that I had the courage to die on hills. Mm. And I see, mm. I see such a lack of courage to be the one in the room <clears throat> that disagrees. Because the group, I mean, for me, fundamentally, it's a thesis. The group is usually wrong. Like I operate with that standpoint. And then I reverse engineer to see if the group is right. Mm. Um, and so, you, you know, there were just so many times I died on hills. That helped turn organizations around. That helped provide leadership. It gave me a ton of experience. However, the immaturity of that, I hurt people. And there were times that I wish I would have learned how to pace better or ignore some things or or deal with it later. You know, there's a, there's a thing that they talked about. I think it was with PayPal. It's like there are fires to fight, there are fires to light, and there are fires to ignore. And knowing what's happening there is, is so critical. And I think that applies to everything we're talking about, right? Yeah. I mean, you could be running and you've got a little numb, uh, a, a dull injury. I keep going. A sharp pain. Right. I right. should stop. Yeah. Um, I'm not so, always good at that. Yeah. So, Chris, talk about that. So, it's like, it's the why, right? Uh, I have a sharp pain. Let's keep going. Well, why you keep, why go, right? Is it because you want to hit a goal? Is it because it's good for the injury to work through it? It's about, you know, and the question comes back to, for, you know, to you when you were starting those fires, igniting those fires and willing to die on those hills, why were you doing it? And what caused you to re-examine that behavior and maybe adjust it? Yeah. Um, awesome. So it, it brings to mind a story that typically when I would tell the story, I would hide part of it and say, well, I was leading at 21 in a public role in an organization, but with you guys, 
this is step one. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I'll, I'll come out right now. Uh, that actual first job was uh, I was a pastor. So I kind of buried the last five years, any of the background that I had other than business and leadership, because, you know, I just didn't want to confuse people. But now that I'm more, you know, in a place that we provide leadership and, and, and uh, in a context of business help to people, I can say it. So here's the context. I'm 21. No kidding. I am the main pastor of this church. Uh, good, honest, just like loving people, poor county. However, when they voted on me, I have no idea how I had the awareness of this at that age. They wanted to move. And I said, okay, well, if you vote on me, you're going to vote on these four things. I'm going to lead the team through, I'm going to lead the building process through a team because I knew it would be a mess if you got to vote on everything. That just takes forever. Uh, and then, you know, three other things. But one of them was, I'm going to be the one to hire and fire. If I, if I can't do that, they don't know that they work for me, the, the staff team. And uh, so we're going to make this hire, and I'm sitting in the finance meeting. The chairman of the finance team was also the chairman of the trustees. And he said, just get the resumes to me, and I'll make the decision. And I've just been voted on. And I said, wait, 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 wait. Um, I'll, I'll say that his name was Gary. Uh, Gary, the, the church has just voted on me to make this decision. I lack integrity if I don't do the thing that I said I would. So you're not going to be making this decision. I'll be making this decision. I'm happy to get your advice. I'm happy to listen to you. But it's ultimately going to be my decision. And, uh, and, and he was so angry at me, so angry that we scheduled this follow-up lunch or breakfast. And I have no idea how this, I had this awareness and I can talk about mistake after mistake after mistake I made in that era. But I had the awareness to sit with him at lunch and look him in the eyeballs and say, the question you've got to ask yourself, Gary, is, are you willing to die on this hill? Because I, and that was the turning point when my leadership was secured in the organization and I could then lead with the intentionality and the credibility that it was required for us to buy property and pay it off. I mean, they've now moved. They're in a new location. You know, everything we put in motion. Now, I went to battle, got bloodied, got scarred up, and I can trace you know, one of the things that you can do when you're leading an organization into culture, you got to live to play another day, but you also got to lead in such a way that they'll actually follow you. Mm -hmm. And and it takes a few years to change a culture and you can do it too fast. And anybody watching this that has an organizational culture, they're not happy with. And if they've been there more than three to five years, it's their culture. But I can trace every time in an organization where a battle line got drawn and I had to step up to the line and there was one person who was afraid of becoming a big fish in a small pond and losing their power. And that's happening in a subversive way in every team that doesn't have an explicitly led healthy culture with a healthy leader. It's, it's just learning to see what's underneath the surface. So there's a finesse there between cashing in and, and, and staying alive to keep leading. And that story for me emulates like, a million sub principles that I've learned the hard way, but it comes down to that issue. Are you willing to die on this hill? And a leader is going to be tested in that way. They just are. Mm. Um, if you try to avoid that, you're going to probably develop some kind of, you know, negative tendencies that are going to haunt you the rest of your leadership career because you, you created some kind of adjustment in the gate of your leadership to overuse the running analogy that you injure yourself more running then you actually do good for your body. 
you know, it's like you you see those people sh- shuffle jogging, you know, where they're just like, there's a guy at the, at the Y when I would go there, he would shuffle jog on the treadmill and he would just pound the front of his toes into the treadmill and squeak, 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 squeak. He's doing more damage to his body. He'd be better off to either walk or run. Um, and that's, that's that tension point that so many people don't realize. So there's my coming out story. First time that's happened in five years. Thanks for being here. <laughs> It's good. It's like, you know, the questions we started with, is this a hill you're willing to die on and, you know, live to play another day? Uh, Sometimes there are hills you would need to die on. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, uh, battling on that hill is the way you live to play another day. So, Mm. you know, it's not just, you know, live to play another day, let everything just slide and don't fight the battles. Like sometimes there are battles you have to fight or you're not going to be able to sustain long-term and sometimes you know they ask you is this a hill you're willing to die on well yeah sometimes it is <laughs> this is the hill we have to fight to to keep going so shooting in the awareness of when that <laughs> and, and at the end of the day i'm gonna be more likely you know it's that whole saying it's easier to direct a horse than than drive a mule or whatever I would back somebody who has a 51% tendency to risk it, to take that step, to be courageous, than not. But over time, if they're not learning pacing and if they're not learning essential, you know, issues and, and the light fires, fight fires, you know, ignore fires, then they're not, they're not, not rounding out in a healthy way. Because yeah. anybody that's going to take on a big vision for their life or their company or their business and I have no doubt you've seen this numerous times, Jimmy, in, in coaching, they've got to have the capacity to have 100 things coming at them. The higher their leadership, the more complex things coming at them. And to kind of like eat stress for breakfast and be like, eh, I can't really do anything about those things. I'll yeah. do the things that I can do today. Um, yeah, that's what, what, what I get excited about. Jimmy, I'm interested, yeah. like from a sales perspective, um, you know, there is a deal. I, I don't know a lot about sales, but it's, you know, I, I, I get the sense, you know, you want to build a relationship and keep the relationship going long term because it's going to, you know, end up in sales or future service later down the road, developing customers that way. You know, but at some point there is probably a, like, a, let's die on this hill. Like we got to get the business or we don't get the business and we're wasting our time. You know, is that true or how does that kind of ebb and flow from a sales perspective? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the perspective I have on sales really informs my perspective on leadership. Um, and if and there's really very little difference between a salesperson and a leader mm. and between a leader and a salesperson, mm. because leaders, leaders cannot always um, and this is I'm, I'm not suggesting that we're saying this when we talk about dying on a hill. But the stories we've told so far about dying on a hill are stories of the person with the authority Mm. challenges the person that doesn't have authority and says, are you willing to die on this hill? In other words, shut the fuck up, (laughs) right? Um, You know, I'm done trying to convince you, right? The coach could have and maybe got tired of talking about the merits of team and how by forming a team and operating like a team, we can all achieve our goals. Maybe got tired of doing that. And this is not to judge the decision. The point is 
when we have a, when we're in a position of authority, we can operate differently if we leverage that authority. In sales, um, we are motivating a volunteer. Hmm. We're motivating somebody who is there by choice, and that and at any time can. Um, opt out of the process. Now, they may do so at personal risk because they may face a problem that only I can solve. And they may recognize that. And um, that relationship that we build may keep them in the game. But the same thing happens when I lead a team of volunteers where I have authority, but leveraging that authority may damage my relationship. There's also the leadership uh, when I'm leading up the food chain. So I'm leading somebody who I report to or, or leading several steps down a food chain, leading somebody who doesn't report to me. I have authority over indirectly, but does not report to me. How do I get them to uh, follow my lead? Right. So, um, yeah. So I think in sales that, that training has uh, caused me to really, you know, focus on this idea that um, if I and the person I'm looking to lead, regardless of where they are, but let's just say in a sales situation, if we share a common goal, like their growth and well-being, and by making sure that they grow in their, and they have their well-being, I in turn will because I will benefit from the residual of that positive relationship. If we have a shared goal, then we can walk a shared path together and there's no need for a dominant relationship we can move forward together. There's no need for, as we discussed in a previous episode, that level of manipulation or a thought or leveraging the, the authority. So, you know, my, I mean, we could, I mean, I'm, I'm a very dominant personality. So, and my kids will tell you that I can be, and they have told me intimidating, right? And I, over the years have learned to leverage that when it's appropriate, but that gets you a different response from the people you want to lead than that more collaborative shared goal focus. And I think for me, when I search for the shared goal, it makes me a more thoughtful person. Not to say that I don't ever use the, <laughs> are you willing to die on this hill? Because look, we're not getting anywhere. But that's, that's the perspective I bring from a sales perspective, that level of volunteer and, not, and, and looking for ways not to necessarily fall back on and leverage that, the authority. Right. That makes me also think of, too, there haven't been any previous episodes. Oh. Oh. Um, we can hit all that again. Mm. The um, Totally love that you made that point. So uh, two things, Steve Jobs and texting musical albums. Because mm-hmm. uh, my story is about <clears throat> board leadership, and that is such a different dynamic than than the shared relational approach after you're in a groove of leadership on a board after you've got, uh, you know, a sales relationship or whatever. So with Steve jobs, when he left next and came back to Apple, one of the th- things he famously did was like, look, I don't, his exact words were something like, I don't have time to wet nurse the board. All you got to quit. I mean, just like, he doesn't want to waste time transitioning. He knows that's a waste of time. When I've, come into organizations to lead them through change, I've been very direct to say, you know, here's what you're voting on. You're voting on these changes. And if you vote on me, I'm going to make all these changes. Mm. And I've actually, I've actually turned down an organization where I sat with their board and I asked them, you know, if you, if you felt like you were supposed to increase your influence in this organization, would you? 
And of course, everybody says yes. And then I say, hey, if you felt like you were supposed to decrease your influence in this organization, like you needed to kind of like let the new vision be birthed and not write emails or make phone calls or have hallway conversations, would you do that? And then five out of seven board members said, no, I wouldn't decrease my influence. Well, then I'm not going to go there because that's going to be a that's going to be a change that's never going to take place. On the other side of that, you know, today I uh, just October, people start doing some stuff, getting ready for fall, even though it's already in fall, but you know how the organizational timeline works. It just seems like I was in like five or six texting conversations uh, from a sales standpoint, nudging business or just checking in with people. And, and that's a totally, it's like, you know, it's so relational and, and, but it's still direct asking, Hey, did you still want to do that thing for your team? Yes, we did. Or no, we didn't. And then intentionally, you know, me wanting to text back something like, like, Hey, have you heard this new album? Not to be manipulative in any way. The motive is just that I want that last piece of their interaction with me to not just be uh, something that's focused on on a transaction, and I'm not afraid of the transaction. The transaction is a part of how the relationship's edified and grow, grows, but it's encased in this whole experience. Um, and that, to me, is the fun part about leadership. It's like because leadership is sales, like Jimmy was saying. It's it's mm-hmm. it's all of these things and all these variables, and knowing when to be what, and, and you don't know that until you experience it, put yourself out there, develop your range. And right. sadly, right. I, I think more people don't live to play another day in leadership and in sales. Curious what you guys think about this in sports and everything. Not because they go too much and risk too hard and go too far. There are examples of that. And those get all the press. But I think for every one of those stories, there's 99 who don't live to play another day. And this just could be my bias. <laughs> and so curious to hear what you guys think who didn't challenge themselves, who didn't push f- far enough, who didn't try enough. And and curious to see what your thoughts on that are in business, Jimmy, And but your thoughts too, Brett, in, in athletes. Like how many times have you seen G League players not live to play another day to get that NBA contract because they just counted on their talent, right? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, it was like, it's, it's the short-term versus long-term, right? You know, I'm, I'm going to avoid the short-term pain or struggle or failure uh, so I can, you know, survive and and keep playing. But in the long-term, I didn't develop the skills uh, or the qualities that I needed to survive the long-term. It's invest in loss in the short-term so I can play the long game and and survive long-term. And uh, yeah, I think that's, maybe that's what you were speaking to, Chris, but you know, it's this passive, you know, live to play another day. I'm not going to ruffle feathers. I'm going to stick with what I do great. And, and I'm not going to fail right now, but it ends, ends up leading in failure down the road because I didn't use this time right now to take a risk, to step into places. Uh, I wasn't good yet, you know, to, to try new things, um, to, to build an infrastructure that would survive the long term, even though I might be losing in the short term. Yeah, and we may also be talking about a cost-benefit analysis, Chris, right? Because I, I completely agree with, I think, the, the point you're making, which is how do you know your limits unless you test your limits? Um, and, that, and that often does require, right, that leave it all on the table, right? That, that attitude that says I'm going to 
uh, you know, damn, you know, damn the outcome, damn the torpedoes. I'm, I'm going, um, who's, who's coming with me kind of thing. Um, so the, it's, it's always about that cost benefit analysis. And I, and the reason I think about this is I go back to our original point in the conversation, which is, was, which was around exercise. Hmm. So ever since I turned 40, which was about 14 years ago, uh, almost, <laughs> uh, you know, I have been, when I worked out the same way I did when I was younger, I would injure myself and that injury would last months, months and months and months. And it would keep me out of the gym and, and keep me from staying in the kind of shape that I was used to. And I kept trying to find ways to work out the way I had, and it just never worked. And I finally had to start learning how to exercise as a, you know, older dude. And, uh, so I could stop getting injured. So this idea, so what's the cost of pushing yourself so hard that you are injured and you're, and now you can't go into the gym for six months. I know Chris, you've dealt with injury. I'm sure Brett, you have as well. So there's that cost benefit analysis, that calculus that goes on that the coach made when he just decided to say, okay, enough's enough. You know, you guys have to decide if this is a hill you want to die on because I'm done talking about it. But there's a, there's a cost-benefit analysis that says, look, I can push myself and, and find a limit, but at what, at what cost? Do I really want to be injured and, and um, hurt, the, hurt my team over the, next, over the rest of the season? Uh, I don't know if you guys saw yeah. the weekend what happened to uh, Dak Prescott and his ankle injury. I mean, you know, you can't, you can't know that stuff's going to happen, but man you put yourself at risk enough times and the consequences can be too great. And so the question is, is it worth it? Chris, Dak Prescott is the quarterback of the Dallas. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Brett. (laughs) That was awesome. Um, I was like, what, what company is he with? uh, No, I mean, this is like, this is the tension point. Cause I think when you're young, it's, 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 quantity and quality as much as you can. So from, you know, my twenties were full of tons of crazy leadership experiences, good and bad, like a lot of them. And, and the quality of them was high because I was challenging myself to, to lead in the most, uh, with the most on the line and, and over and over again, the best decisions I've made have been, when I jumped off the cliff, but before I did, I just kind of looked both ways, took a breath, and then went ahead and jumped. My worst decisions I've made are when I've jumped off the cliff, but I didn't take a deep breath and I didn't look both ways. Mm. Like, and, and that little moment of pause right. is everything. And I can, I can look back at some of the worst decisions I've made and see how it was bravado just sweeping over all good rational heuristics. Emotional Um, versus rational, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But what happens is, and and I think this is this is, you know, I'm I'm in the suburbs. This is suburbia. This is the world around me right now. What happens is that cost benefit analysis just takes over in people's lives step by step by step by step. And they just stop jumping at all. And that to me is terrible. Like 
I'd rather have some bad jumps than to stop jumping. Not jumping for jumping's sake, but surely we're made for more. We exist for more, whatever that template or paradigm is that, you know, we just don't want to live decades on repeat trying to survive and pay our bills. Anyway, I've been thinking about that this morning, you know, because that to me is what we use. We use all this language to justify, you know, living to play another day. But but are we actually playing? You know, um, man, I'm going to write that question. Down. Yeah, that's a, tag me. That's uh, <laughs> a great point. Like, there's there's a whole there's layers to that thing, right? It's live to play another day, but you got to play, right. and you got to live, and you want another day at it. But you're going to live the long term game as well as the short term game, and sometimes it's going to require some loss or some risk in the short term. And sometimes, yeah, you are going to die on the hill uh, because that's what you got to do to learn how to get up the hill. How far can we take this analogy? (laughs) Well, I want, here's a question. How far did LeBron go in dying on a hill to go to the Lakers now that they won? Ha! Oh, Hey, Ah, (laughs) look at you on your sports scores. (laughs) Yeah. He's, I mean, he's, uh, he's made a lot of decisions that, weren't popular and, and, you know, I guess you could say died on some Hills, but he's, he's a freaking machine and, and so good that he doesn't die on those Hills, even if they're losses or, or short-term failures, you know, he can, he's strong enough, powerful enough, good enough that he, and I guess smart enough that he can, uh, he can charge up the Hill, keep going. Um, but sure, he, he lost some people, but he gained some people along the way too. When he's jumped around, when he left Cleveland, when he went back to, uh, went back to Cleveland after leaving Miami, then going to LA. I mean, he's, he has, he's lost some people, but he's gained some people and, uh, um, he's lost in some short term. I mean, last year they didn't even make the playoffs. You know, he, he goes to the Lakers and he doesn't even make the playoffs. And, uh, and didn't he stop because of an injury? Like he went ahead and quit the season early. Yeah, quit the season early. Yeah, he did. He he rested. You know, he took the time off. He saw it wasn't going to happen, and so he, you know, he took the time off, recovered, and back in the finals. I mean, he's playing the long game now, right? He's what is he, thirty four, thirty five years old, and trying to get a couple more rings under his belt before he can't go anymore. So, right, yeah, definitely playing the long game, and you know. Right. Uh, so he didn't, he did, that was a hill last year. He did not die on. Yeah. And he would have died on that hill as a younger athlete. And that for me is, and that's the tension point because the youth, you know, it's, and you told me this, Brett years ago, it's like, watch collegiate athletes. They look more passionate. It's because they don't have the sophistication to know, you know, what is worth the energy expression professionals have learned I shouldn't dive for that ball because two out of 10 times I'm, I would get it, but the eight out of 10 is not worth it. Yeah, And and that's the heuristic <laughs> that we're talking about, right? And so my wiring would be to always dive after the ball. Somebody else's wiring may be to never dive after the ball. And what we've got to make sure that we're doing is, and this is the way I think about it, we're present engaged, but we're future focused. Mm-hmm. So it's like we have this future vision of who we're becoming. I think tons of people don't know that, have that, or activate that. And then I evaluate the present engagement in light of that. Um, 
And that for me is a guiding point, you know, because I have broken some bones diving for balls. And <laughs> I've hurt some people, right? Diving four rows into the stands, throwing an elbow to an elderly woman's face. I didn't mean to, but it's like, that's the, you know, that's what happened in doing that. And, and I, you know, for me, the exciting part about living and leading and learning uh, is this constantly upgrading of the approach, you know, and I have no doubt whatever LeBron does after basketball, he'll apply that same mindset, that same template. Um, and that part is so fun. And I think for so many people, it's, it's finding a place to lock in at a cruising altitude and then they want to be done. And it makes me think of a quote by Louis C.K. He said, and this was years ago, so, but he was like, I'm 42, I think is when he said this, and I still haven't found a cruising altitude for my identity. Mm-hmm. Dang. Yeah. Interesting. Dang. That's yeah, good. I could keep on on that one. I mean, <laughs> that's the thing, you know? Yeah. Everybody wants to find that place to coast. And at any given moment, we are imprisoned by what hasn't happened yet, but we, yet we're blessed and we have all the stuff around us we could be grateful for so that I'm present engaged in the gratitude of what I have and the struggles that need immediate addressing. But I'm also, I've got this future vision, this future focus of what I want to become, of who I want to be. Yeah. And when that's not there, you know, and it's not just a future orientation because of my Myers-Briggs or whatever personality typing you use. Without hope, without vision, we lose our way. Yeah, you know, we start to lose that fire. Um, anyway. It's a conversation I was having with uh, with my wife last night. Um, I was been reading this book, and the the guy was talking about happiness, and I said, "What is happiness?" And he said, "Happiness was peace. The peace was the absence of desire." It sounds funny, but he's like, once you start desiring you recognize there's a lack and now you like get anxious or you want to fill the void or, or find the, you know, that, uh, find the, what will, will, um, meet that desire. And so it, it creates the stirring in you. And what he ended up saying was you can be happy or you can be succeeding, but you can't be both because happiness is the lack of desiring because you have no lack, you have peace worth where you're at. But then you're succeeding, and that means you're chasing something, you're pursuing something, because you do see a void, you do see a, a, a gap to close, and so you're trying to work to get there. And uh, so my wife and I were talking about, like, well, which one do you want to be? You want to be happier? You want to be succeeding? And you can't do both at the same time, but you can do both, right? It's learning to modulate. Okay, now I'm going to be succeeding, but also knowing when to turn it off and be like, it's okay. I can be happy, find peace, be okay with where it's at. Um, for now, but then keep going to per, uh, pursue it and improve it and, and and work on it, but also be able to find that place again where it's like I'm peace, happy. It's okay with where it's at. Um, it's the give and take, the yin and yang. You got to be able to move in and out of both of those. Be the tree, right, Jimmy? In a given day, you got to be the tree. Well, okay, so check it out. So let's be the tree. So a tree. Um, grows, right? So how can a tree, uh, so if, if we be the tree, right? For, uh, how can we be content and still grow? Mm. Right? So I think, Brett, the thing I, the thing I, per, I, per, 
I, I take what you learn to the next level. So I prefer to think that I can be content, but not satisfied. So I prefer to think that what I'm striving for is not to fill a gap, but to see what else I can achieve. So I, I prefer to focus on being content, but not satisfied. I prefer to emotionally be like I've slammed an 8% ABV, but not really, and just kind of stay. No. Um, Brett, how, because we haven't done one of these yet. We haven't done an episode. So how did you talk about it here in Catching Confetti? Which chapter are you referring to? Or just <laughs> how would you best connect it to this tension of, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm catching the confetti right. the analogy behind that. Right. So for, so for me, it comes back to relaxed intensity, right? right? It's a intensity of focus. Uh, you know, I have a place I want to go, a removal of distractions, a pursuit, um, you know, something I'm exploring, but there's also this relaxed presence. Like, I'm not going to force my will onto the situation. I'm not going to, uh, um, you know, try to work against what's happening. I'm going to cooperate with what's unfolding. And, and there's a relaxed presence towards it. I have nothing to prove, nothing to hide. Um, I'm going to enjoy the process, enjoy the journey, but also have this intensity of focus that a mission and something I'm going after and, and a laser like focus. And, uh, to me, that's where it was when, when my wife's like, which would you rather be happy or succeeding? Well, you can be both. Like it's, it's relaxed, relaxed intensity. You can be growing and content all at the yeah. same time. That's um, cool. It's a, I, there Sounds like a flow state, possibly. Say it again. Ooh. Sounds like a flow state, maybe. Yes, sir. Something else in your book. Yeah, I, I really attached. I really uh, resonated with that with that uh, discussion in the book. Get us going on altered states, Jimmy. Near the yeah. end. <laughs> I know, right? I was going to say uh, the. Yeah, I mean, it's like okay. So I did the run, but I sat outside on the patio for like fifteen minutes in the sun. Yeah. It's like I could get more work done for 15 minutes. You know, yesterday it was gorgeous, but I did have Bud in the seat advancing some goals. <clears throat> and it's such a it's such a, a yin yang. And for whatever reason, what's been helping me a ton lately is to think through it like, you know, we start out with this right brain wonder and awe as a kid, assuming no trauma or whatever. But we're we kinda, you know, we happenstance our way <laughs> into things. I, I couldn't strategically plan to start my first business in the ninth grade and go, you know, I couldn't, I didn't read a book that said you should think about time and money. And, but I remember thinking I've got like $2 in this necklace. It takes me 30 minutes. I'm selling it for 15, you know? So, so there's this approach that like we have when we're childlike, but then we start to lose that because we recognize just being reactive gets us in trouble, which is what the 1700s brought us rationality. That, that in between stimulus and response is a chosen reaction. But I think what happens for so many adults is they just stop in that rationality. And then they're just constantly thinking. They're not, and it's the Ray Bradbury quote. Thinking isn't living. You know, thinking is the container that, that holds the living. And so too many people are just constantly running in their minds, whatever their thoughts are. Their thoughts are just going, 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 going. They're not actively making choices to live. And so for me, then, it's that next step where the right brain leads the dance. I still use left brain rationality discernment, but the right brain leads the dance. 
and I follow the creative inspiration to be vulnerable and tell a story that I told you guys 20 minutes ago. You know, I didn't plan on that, but as it was showing up, it was like, okay, why do I want to do this? Do I want to do it to try to prove something? Or am I trying to hide? I think that I'm supposed to share this. I'm cooperating with the unfolding process of life. And and when that for me is in place and that right brain is like one second ahead and I still use the left brain discernment, you know, that's when my intuition is honed. That's when I'm making honest, pure decisions. That's when I know I can't calculate my way to a preferred future. Instead, I'm not the causal agent of all my circumstances. I, like a flower that blooms, you can't force a flower to bloom, cooperate with what's unfolding. I get too excited about that. <laughs> it's good. I like the other, that idea too, where it's, it's, you're not silencing the, the conscious mind or the critical voice. You're just quieting it. Yeah. You know, or putting it in its place. You're letting the subconscious mind lead. You know, it's not, it's still, the, the conscious mind still serves you. The rationality still serves you, right? It helps. Uh, it just try to get it to a place where it's not leading. It's not the loudest voice right. uh, guiding your way. Right. When, when, when those are in symbiotic relationship, left brain, right brain, we know the whole brain wants to work that way. Then I'm going to jump off the cliff sometimes, or sometimes I'm not because I'm yeah. going to be like, Ooh, you know, there's a concern here. The conscious mind is elevating a concern that I need to pay attention to. Um, and, and that part for me is really fun, you know, right. to, to learn to hone and develop that. Jimmy was listening to that the first time we met because right. we met and then he just walked away. He was like, <laughs> my guy, I better right. get away. The tree, well, that's the thing. I mean, the tree, right, grows, but the tree doesn't doesn't conceive of stress or pressure, right? And I know that you talk a lot about pressure in the context of the sports world, uh, Brett. But that's the thing. I think, you know, you can have concern, but the concern doesn't have to manifest as stress. It doesn't have to manifest as pressure. Um, we can stop short of that by, you know, by um, simply focusing on the action and doing without any, you know, fear of fear of the outcome or consequence. So, uh, and I, and it took me maybe like a decade to learn that. But uh, and I think this is one reason why I think, uh, Chris, you probably, when you, when you opened up uh, the conversation today, you talked a little bit about um, how you use different words. We talked about how your life is, or you make decisions that are some, that are stress-free. How do we make really big decisions that don't have stress attached to them? Because we don't, we don't attach ourselves to the what if or to the consequence. And we don't let that overcome us, as you said, Brett. Yeah. We can handle big decisions with big consequences and not allow our bodies to be impacted by the pressure or the stress that can cause dis-ease inside us. And we can handle lots of stuff and we can operate very effectively uh, in very intense situations without without all the negative issues that come that maybe even challenge what you talked about, Brett, our happiness, our ability to be happy. Can we be happy in a moment where we're making a decision that has huge consequences uh, because we're not paying attention to um, the, uh, uh, the issues that might cause us stress or concern or pressure? Yeah, for me, it, pressure is a, a mental construct. And what you're talking about with the concern, you know, right. is your concern, okay, that's input information that I need to pay attention to, and it's, it's helped me guide the decision. 
or is this concern or this stress or pressure you talk about because of uh, the results might say something about who I am right. yeah, getting what you said, you get too attached to the results or the consequences. So, yeah. If you, if you go into process into a situation or decision and the results have the, uh, carry the weight of your identity that carry the weight of, uh, you know, this will define who I am one way or the other. Yeah. It's no one's going to perform well under that kind of stress or pressure. You know, it's so being able to detach yourself from the results, detach yourself from your performance, say who I am is not on the line. Now there are like consequences, wins and losses, and, and I'll have to deal with or, or adapt to, but they don't define who I am. They don't, they don't crush me. I, um, just take it full circle. Um, because last week I broke my tennis racket. <laughs> I, uh, I joined this tennis league like a month ago and I was starting to get what my wife and I've been playing and I, I was getting better. And I was like, well, I'll just, I'll just, uh, join a league so I can get some more competition and, and try to keep improving. And I went into the league and the whole point of me joining the league, my whole goal was I'm going to play more matches than anybody else. Cause if I play more matches than anybody else, I'll eventually get better. You know, I'll hit enough ground strokes. I'll be in enough sets. I'll be in enough, you know, four, two deficits. I got to come back from, I'll, I'll be in a couple three setters and to start conditioning my body to, to survive longer matches. Like I'm just going to play as many matches as I can possibly play. Um, in, in this particular league, you got to play at least six matches and then win three of them to get into the uh, playoffs. And so no sweat. I, I want to get to the playoffs because that means I get to play more matches. Right. And I'll continue to get better by my sixth match. Uh, um, I had two wins. I needed one more win to get in the playoffs and I lost. And then I went and checked the scoreboard. Okay. Who else can I play? You know, so I can get my third win and get in the playoffs. And I schedule that match and say, Hey, let's go play. And then I thought I was getting better. And so I scheduled a rematch against a guy who beat me the first time. I know he's not better than me. I'm ready for him. Let's go play again. I still lost third set tie break, lost it. So I go play another guy and he needs one more win to get in the playoffs too. And so both of us are playing head to head. One of us is going to qualify for the playoffs. One of us won't. I lose that one. Now I go to the scoreboard and I'm seeing my record and I'm checking the, the win percentage and I'm trying to convince myself I'm not as bad as my record says I am, but I'm falling down the thing. Other people are qualifying for the playoffs. I'm freaking out. Then I go in there. I was like, okay, I just got to reduce my errors. If I can get my errors down, I'll win more matches. So I start keeping track of my errors. We got to get less than 10. Well, I get to the ninth error. Bam. Slam my record on the court. Like, pit. Row. <laughs> yeah, look at you. Look at you with the throwback. Like, piss, right? Well, what happened? My original goal was to stay alive. <laughs> Live to play another day. Play as many matches as you possibly can. But all of a sudden, I started counting. I started counting the results. I started counting the, the wins, the losses, the errors, the mistakes, my status on the leaderboard. How far you were getting away from your goal? How far was I getting away from? 
And what happened? Once you start counting, you lose patience. And I lost patience. Shattered my racket. But now I can't live to play another day. My racket's busted. (laughs) I can't play another match. You can't take all the wisdom you've gained and apply it. That's it, right? So it's just, it's, uh, it's interesting. Like survive to play another day, you know, to keep going. You're not going to not take risk. You're going to have errors, you know, but you got to learn from the errors and don't shatter your racket in the midst of making errors. You're going to invest in loss. You're going to lose some, uh, you know, maybe I wouldn't qualify for the playoffs, but there's another league next month and I'll go play that one and keep getting better. And, but don't shatter your racket because... <laughs> you can't play anymore <laughs> it's, it makes me think of a succinct way of saying it and maybe you guys will agree disagree i'd love to hear what you think get as much exposure and experience as you can while still staying alive to play another day like that's the tension point i like it too fun mic drop you got nothing to I'm add to that. oh man wrapped under the tree ready <laughs> It's good. It took us 45 minutes to get there, but we found the, the boat. We found the succinct way of saying it. Yeah. Love it. What do you think, Jimmy? Is that a wrap? It's a wrap. So, uh, yeah, man. Um, so you've been listening to Breaking Brains and Building Hearts. Brett Bouchard and Chris McAllister and me, James Rory's. Uh, we're here every week, Tuesdays, same time. We look forward to seeing you uh, in coming weeks. And uh, if you'd like a recording, uh, Chris, where can folks go to get a recording of today's episode? Well, because we kicked off and now this is episode one, uh, it'll be when we make it live. But we did get the URL, breakingbrainsbuildinghearts.com. So I'm assuming that's where we'll make it live. All right. Look for us at breakingbrainsandbuildinghearts.com for the replays. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Later, guys. Peace.